Micah chapter 7 as we go there this morning. We are, as we're continuing our series this Advent, getting ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and then looking forward to His coming again. We've been looking at how Scripture frees us to, rep- to replace the frustration of our waiting with eager hope for Christ's return, to replace our anxiety with peace, and this week we're looking at how Scripture gives us the freedom to, ex- to replace our loneliness excuse me, our loneliness with the presence of God. Pray with me as we go to God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would descend upon us, Lord, that your spirit would speak to us and touch our hearts. Lord, we pray that you give us understanding into the way that you have worked in real people's lives and seemingly hopeless circumstances and have found their hope in you. Lord, bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The British medical journal, The Lancelot, shared this story. There was a medical doctor by the name of Dr. Porkaryasha, and she would share the story about her interaction with an 82-year-old patient who is recorded as the name of Doris, not her real name. It was two days before Christmas, and Doris seemed healthy and ready for discharge. But for some reason, she kept complaining about inexplicable health issues, the doctor wrote. Yesterday, it was her arm that was hurting. Before that, it was her hip. Truth is, Doris is an incredibly healthy 82-year-old, and we can't find anything. I have no doubt that it will be the same today. When the x-rays came back normal, the doctor told Doris that she would have to stick to the plan of sending her home. Doris looked down at the floor and quietly said, I don't want to go home. It's just that I'm all alone, and there are so many hours in the day. And then after a long pause, she sighed and asked, Doctor, can you give me a cure for loneliness? The doctor reflected. I wish I could say yes. I wish I could prescribe her some antidepressants and be satisfied that I had done my best. But the truth is, she's not clinically depressed. It's just that she's been left behind by a world that no longer revolves around her, not even in the littlest bit. There are thousands like her, men and women, for whom time stands empty as they wait in homes full of silence. They are no longer coveted by a society addicted to youth. Doris is alone. And it brings home the truth of this epidemic that we have on our hands, an epidemic of loneliness. And the most difficult part is that I don't know how to solve this, although I wish I could. For now, I simply retract my diagnosis. Sheepishly, I insist that Doris spends her Christmas this year on the hospital floor, and I can see her mood immediately lift. But as I steel myself for the inevitable influx of unwanted grandparents whom I know will arrive, I cannot help but wonder how it is that things could have gone so badly and gone so wrong. And to that, we who are Christians say, Emmanuel, God with us. A virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, Emmanuel, God with us. How is that the answer? And so we come to a passage of scripture here in Isaiah chapter 7, one of the most famous Christmas passages, one of the most famous prophecies about Jesus Christ, 
that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will be called Emmanuel. And I want us to understand here this morning the situation that was going on and how the people of Israel felt and why God gave them this promise. And not only why did God give them this promise, but how on earth does this promise help them in the midst of their situation? For they are a nation and a people at this point in time who feel abandoned, they are terrified and completely paralyzed, they are discouraged, they are hopeless, and right now they are wondering what on earth does the promise of God have to do with them. So what we're going to do is we're going to dive into the situation that is going on here in ancient Israel. It's a little bit complex. I want you to stay with me, but I want, to, we, I want to go through this complexity so that you can feel the tension that they were feeling so that we can understand how the promise applies in our own tension in our own life. So we're going to begin by looking at where we are in biblical history. Right now, the timing is that what's happened is that a promise has been given to Abraham about 1400 B.C., um, Moses is led, leads the people of Israel out of Egypt and leads them to the promised land. David is made king around 1000 AD, and God gives him a promise, the same promise that he gave to Abraham, and he expands it. And he says to David that I will expand your kingdom so that through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. There will be an eternal king that will never depart from your throne. David's son became king after him. And then the next king, the kingdom split into the northern kingdom and into the southern kingdom. Ten tribes went north, called, and they were referred to as Israel, also given the name of Ephraim as one of the larger tribes, as referred to in this passage. And then there's the southern kingdom, which contained Judah and Benjamin. At the time of this passage, in 700 years before the birth of Christ, 735 A.D., King Ahaz is the one who is king of the southern kingdom. God has sent Isaiah as a prophet to deliver God's promises to him and to call the people back to a relationship with God. So, this is what God's word says. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, the one who is carrying the promise of David, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but they could not mount an attack against it. And when the house of David, that is Ahaz, the king, was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the northern kingdom, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of the people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. All right, what's going on here? Let's understand the tension that King Ahaz is in. The decision that he has to make about what is he going to put his trust in, where is he going to put his faith? Is he going to put it in the things that he sees, or is he going to put it in the promises of God? Here is the geopolitical crisis that has been developing. There is a global super, superpower by the name of Assyria. Assyria is expanding, it is rising, it is growing, it is dominating. Assyria and their armies were skilled and constant, and as one Old Testament scholar says, they were systematic in their cruelty as they spread across the face of the earth. Next in line to Assyria as it comes is the country of Syria, not Assyria, the country of Syria. Next in line of them is Israel, the northern kingdom, the northern tribes, and next after them is Moab, the Edomites, and then Judah, the southern kingdom down here. 
they know that they are about to be obliterated and tortured by this new global superpower. So what happens is that Syria and Israel, who are no match for us Syria, say, our only hope is if we, for, if we formed an international alliance. Our two countries are going to join together in an anti-Assyria alliance. And we're going to get the other countries to join with them. So what Syria and Israel do is that they come down to Judah and threaten to destroy it. And they say, we're going to give you an offer. The offer that we're going to give you is that you can join us in our anti-Assyrian alliance, or we are going to eradicate your king and put a puppet governor in place, and we'll conscript all your people in order to be in our army so we can go fight against Assyria. So your choice is be conquered, and then we'll take all your people, or agree for us to take all your people. However, the king of Judah is not sure if he likes this, because he knows that there is a bigger, um, a bigger fish to fry. Namely, Assyria is on the warpath. The king of Judah knows that Syria and Israel are no match for Assyria. And even if they join together with them with all these other nations, they still are no match for Assyria. So the king of Judah says, okay, my choice is we can be obliterated by this alliance and then get obliterated by Assyria, or we can, um, we can, we can do that, or we can resist this alliance and then get obliterated by everybody. So the king of Judah is trying to figure out what to do in the midst of this international crisis. However, he has no need to panic for God is in control. He is faithful to his promises. He will protect his people. He will be faithful to the promise that God gave to David, now carrying on to Ahaz. But Ahaz has a divided heart. He doesn't believe God, or he doesn't at least, maybe he believes that God is true, but he doesn't want to trust in God. He doesn't doubt that what God says is true and real, but he says, I'm not going to submit myself to it. So he decides that he's going to try to come up with his own solution. He's going to come up with his own strategy to deal with the issue. So Ahaz says this, given that Assyria is going to obliterate them and then obliterate us, how about I do this? Why don't I make an alliance with Assyria? And then if I get in good with Assyria, we can obliterate those two people and then when they come on the warpath through here, maybe they'll be a little bit more merciful to us as they come through. And so that is his choice. He's saying, am I going to align with Assyria, or am I going to trust in God and trust in his promises? Someone had characterized the dilemma that Ahaz faced a little bit like this, that there is a mouse who is about to be attacked by two ferocious rats, and he is appealing to a cat to deliver them. That's the tension that, he, that the nation of Israel is currently find themselves in. But the question for the mouse, namely Ahaz in this situation, is, is he going to trust in God and the promises that God has specifically given to him, or is he going to trust in the way that he seems, sees things? It's a relevant question, isn't it? It's a question that you and I face in the course of our lives. Sooner or later, God brings us into crisis, does he not? And in the midst of the crisis, you, I, we are faced with a decision. And we're going to say, 
okay, am I going to trust the things that I see? I'm going to try to find some other way out of this. Or am I going to trust in God and trust that God is true to his promises? And that's where I think the tension lies for many Christians. Because they say, you know what? I have seen God be faithful to other people. I have the testimony that God has been faithful through the scriptures. I have seen God work in other people's lives, but that's not me. When push comes to shove, is God trustworthy for me? When it really counts for me, will he be faithful? Will he save me? Will he provide for me? And you either answer like Ahaz with a divided heart, agonizing over which to do or what not to do, looking for some other solution, trying to rack your brain for how this is going to work out. Or, like Isaiah, you answer with a clear yes. I will trust in the Lord and experience his presence that comes with that. So here's what happens. Ahaz is in the midst of this dilemma. God knows that there is this crisis brewing. And he knows that Ahaz is waffling. So God comes to Ahaz and he gives him a promise. Rather gracious. Even though he's waffling, he's saying, I'm going to give you a promise. Here's the way it works. Verse 3. The Lord said to Isaiah, God's prophet, Go to meet Ahaz, you and Shir Jashubab, your son, which means I will preserve a remnant. And go meet him at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Why is Ahaz there? Because Ahaz is preparing for war. He is preparing for a siege. And he is checking his water supply to see how long he's going to be able to last. And so in the midst of checking his provisions, God says, Isaiah, sends Isaiah to him to give him a promise at this particular moment. And this is what he tells him. He says, be careful, Ahaz. Be quiet. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint because these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezim of Syria and the son of Ramalia, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia have devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it ourselves and set up the son of Tabio as the king in the midst of it. This is what the Lord says. It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. Why? For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And with 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from the people of God. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. What does all of that mean? It means that God is saying through Isaiah to Ahaz, Ahaz, be calm, be quiet, keep calm, carry on. Trust in the Lord. This smoldering stump of firebrand, they're nothing more than like used cigarette butts. Don't pay attention to their threats. Pay attention to me. Put your trust in me. Shortly, what happens after this is that Ahad decides, no, he's not going to trust in the Lord. He's going to make an alliance with Syria. And then what happens is that the cat comes down, has dinner on the two rats, and then eats the mouse for dessert. A little bit later. But God makes Ahaz's choice very clear to him. He says to Ahaz this, if you are not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. That is, Ahaz, either you're going to live by faith or you will not live at all. Either you will find your security, your stability, your comfort by trusting in me, or you will discover that everything else that you trust in will fall short 
and you will be destroyed. And that is the choice before you. You can either live by faith and experience my promise, the presence of God. You can either live by faith and experience that, or you can live in fear and subsequently be destroyed. It's a, remark, it's a profound question that he poses to him. God, in his mercy, still knows that Ahaz is questioning. Still knows that Ahaz is saying, you know what, I don't really know if God is trustworthy. At least, I don't know if God's going to be trustworthy for me because it's nice when God's helpful in these little things like, what do, I, what do I do in this situation? I mean, but Assyria is a global superpower. Who can stop them? Is God faithful in this moment? So God says to Ahaz, you know what, Ahaz, I know, I, I understand that you're doubting this, but let me, let me show you that I'm true. Let me show you that I'm trustworthy. Let me show you that my promises are real. So he says this, Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord, your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol, the realm of the dead, or as high as the heavens. Ask for a sign. God gives Ahaz, he says, listen, here is a blank check. You can ask for whatever you want as a sign, and I will give it for you. But Ahaz does not want to submit to God. He doesn't need a sign. He doesn't want to trust in him. And so what Ahaz here at this moment, he doesn't need more proof. He doesn't need more clarity. What he needs is he needs a heart that is willing to submit himself to God, being the Lord of the heavens and the earth, and the God who is faithful to his promises. And he does not want to do that. So here is how Ahaz responds. He responds by rejecting God's offer and by rejecting God's promises. He says this, Oh, woe is me. I will not put the Lord to the test. I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Both Isaiah and the Lord know false humility when they see it. And they say, Hear then, O house of David, you Ahaz, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Real, for real, man, that's your answer? I'm giving you a blank check and you're saying, no, 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 far be it from me that I should ever cash it. It wasn't a statement of humility, it was a statement of rejecting God. And the Lord knew it. The Lord knew it. Isaiah knew it. And he says to Isaiah, and he says to, to Ahaz, your time has passed. You have made your decision. Your opportunity is now, your opportunity is now gone. But for the sake of my promise, and for the people of God who are under you, Ahaz, even though you are a godless and faithless leader, I'm going to give you a promise and sign anyway. And here is the sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. How is that a comfort? Right? I mean, consider this for a moment. He says, I'm going to give you a sign. And the sign that he says is, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. The sign is going to be a fatherless child born to a virgin here at this moment. And that is going to be the sign. And God gives him this sign because he wants the people to trust him, to know him, to experience his presence, to experience his power in the moment. Such a powerful promise. In fact, Matthew, after he records the encounter between Mary and the angel and how she's going to give birth and have um, that she will conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit, that she will be, give birth to a son named Jesus, 
that the virgin shall conceive, Matthew says this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew is declaring that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the prophet given to Isaiah 700 years before, given through Isaiah 700 years before. Matthew knows that we face enemies and hostilities far greater than Syria, Assyria, or Ephraim, the northern kingdom. We face an alliance of sin, death, the devil, the brokenness in our life that never goes away, and you are no match for them. And to that, we say, Emmanuel, a virgin shall conceive, and you will be a baby. How on earth is that the answer? How is an infant, fatherless, son of a virgin, who's not going to appear for 700 years, the answer for the people of God who at this moment under Ahaz are currently under the rule of Ahaz, who is a conniving, godless leader and a coward, and because of his faithlessness, their nation is about to get munched by the sadistic Assyrians. How on earth is a baby the answer? We might ask the same question for ourselves. That was 700 years before Jesus came. For us, how is an infant, fatherless, son of a virgin the answer for us, who live 2,000 years after this virgin birth in the midst of a world that is filled with wars and filled with violence, destruction, brokenness, all around us, all around our globe, let alone our own personal struggles, our own personal confusion, crises, loneliness? How is a baby the answer? In the exact same way that the promise would have been for Ahaz. If Ahaz had trusted in God. That the, it is the answer. Because when we respond in faith, we experience his presence. Just as it would have been for Ahaz. To respond in faith and experience the presence and the promises of God. But let me be much more specific in the way of how this works out in our life and what needs to happen in our life for, this, for us to understand how this is the answer. Is that first off, it is this. Is that do not, like Ahaz needed to, do not look to others for what only God can provide. Don't look to others for what only God can provide. Ahaz was looking for his security in everything but in the one true God who alone could provide the security that he was looking for. Unfortunately, we are oftentimes a lot like Ahaz. That we hear the promises of God, we know the promises of God, and either we don't think the promises are enough, we don't think the promises of God are true, or we don't think that they'll be true for me. We don't think that God will be faithful for me in my crisis when I need it in this instant and in this moment. And so what happens is we waffle. We go around looking for some other solution. And at best, what happens is we're left more dissatisfied, and at worst, it is our own destruction. Augustine, centuries ago, famously said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. There was a pastor who was reflecting on how God is the one that satisfies us 
gives us rest from our restlessness. And he was reflecting upon the years that he was a pastor and he was single and the loneliness that he felt and the longing that he wanted to be married and wanted to have a family. And he gave this account. He said this, I remember years ago visiting a singles ministry with a terrifying feeling only a single knows from walking, to, walking into a room filled with people that you don't know. He says, you might as well wear a sign that says, hi, everybody, I'm needy. As the door closed behind me, everybody stopped talking. The whole room paused, looked me up and down, and then went back to their conversations. What happened in that moment, he reflects. I think the group looked me over to see if I might be someone to meet their needs. And based on their response, apparently not. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. So what happens is we think we need, fill in the blank, for the aching in our life to go away. We think that we need to be married. We think, and then you get married and you say, you know what? The aching didn't go away. We need to have a family. And then you know what? The aching still doesn't go away. If only we could get our kids launched. And guess what? The aching still doesn't go away. Or maybe it's different. If only my finances were better. If only our health was in a different, if I, if I didn't have to deal with these health issues. If only this relationship would improve. If only I wasn't estranged from my kids. If only my parents would accept me when I would go home. If only someone would have recognized the accomplishments that I've had. Is that we look to blank because we think we need it in order for the aching to go away, only to find that after we get it, we find ourselves more restless, more dissatisfied, more empty. Friends, family, spouse, children, all of those things are wonderful blessings. But they cannot fill the longing and the aching that only God can satisfy. Is that if you are, for example, if you are single and you are wanting to be married, and there is an aching in your soul, getting married will not solve that. And in fact, the loneliest people in the world are not those who are single and wanting to be married. Rather, it's married people who realize that they got into a relationship looking for someone to satisfy something in their life that cannot be satisfied by them. And so people go into this and they're looking for these needs in their life to be satisfied. But they cannot do that. However, or if you think about a specific situation... That if you are, let's take it to Christmas, if you are getting together with your family or your extended family or you're a parent and you're seeing your kids or extended family or you're, you're coming home and you're going to see your parents or however, however your extended family all gathers together. If you are going into your family, your Christmas time, and you are longing for and you are looking for acceptance from your family, if you are looking for approval from your mother or your father, if you are looking for somebody to at least recognize you and say, you know what, life hasn't been fair to you, and you've overcome, good job, I'm proud of you. If you go into those dynamics looking for another person to satisfy the longing and aching in your life, it will only leave you with greater longing and greater aching and bigger hurt. But if you go in the promises of God, if you go trusting in Jesus Christ, 
What happens then is that you go as one who is loved, who is accepted, who God has adopted you into his family, who has made you his own. And what happens as one who is loved, approved, and accepted is that you then can go into your family situation not needing to find it from everybody else around you. But you can go in and love your family well because you have been loved lavishly and loved abundantly by your heavenly Father. You see, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are united to him. And if you are united to him, all the promises of God are true. So what that means is to begin with is you don't look for others for what only God can provide you. Secondly, if you're not looking to them to it, where are you looking? You need to look to God. That is, you need to actively put your faith and trust in God. That is, that you respond in faith and you experience his presence. That you trust in God's promises. You say that what God says is actually true. It's not, you don't say, okay, God, if you prove yourself to be trustworthy, I'll trust you. To that, God would say, like Ahaz, like he did to Ahaz, I have already demonstrated to you beyond what could ever be needed that I am beyond trustworthy. I am more trustworthy than you could ever comprehend. And in fact, not only am I trustworthy, but I have demonstrated to you in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that my promises are true, that I am faithful, and not just simply that, but I continue to reveal myself in creation through the working of God's people and the mysterious working of my Holy Spirit, which has been at work in your life right now and through this situation. You don't need any more proof right now. The only question before you is the same question that I posed to Ahaz. Will you trust in me? Or will you look at your circumstances and say, nah, I'm, I'm going to find something else. I'm going to look, I'm going to try to figure out a better solution to that. Because if you are in Christ Jesus, you are united to Emmanuel, who is God with us. You are brought into a relationship with him. And if you are brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he is always with you. And since you are in Christ, what this means is that you are not abandoned. You are not forsaken. You have been washed clean. You have been bestowed with dignity and honor. You are secure. You are adopted. Jesus Christ is your, your true ally. He is the one that dwells in you and dwells with you and protects you and surrounds you. He is the one that gives his presence to accompany you in the greatest crises of life. Even the psalmist, several hundred years before the birth of Jesus, says this, The Lord is near. He is present with. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Now, I can understand that for some of you, you say, okay, I hear you, but I don't get that. And maybe, as you're, maybe someone that you're, you're hearing these things about Christianity, but that's never really been true for you, and you're thinking about this, and you're saying, okay, wait a second. Let me see if I'm getting this straight. So you're telling me that I'm not weird if I pray, which really looks like I'm talking to myself in a room, and as I'm praying, I'm praying to a spirit that I don't see and I can't hear. And by faith, I'm believing in promises that came some 2,700 years ago and fulfilled 2,000 years ago. And this is still being outworked. And I'm just going to go, like, talking to him. And as I'm talking to him, I'm going to be united to the presence of God. Am I crazy for that? Well, if you don't know the Lord, people would look at them and say, yeah, Absolutely. 
You better believe you're, absolutely, what are you thinking of? However, for people that have been united to Christ, as they say, yeah, it actually kind of seems really crazy. What's even crazier is it actually works. It's actually true that when you're united to Christ, that, there is, that you, are, you are joined together with him. And that you are in a relationship with a real person, a real personal spirit of God. And though it, doesn't, it defies comprehension, yes, he, he is with me and he accompanies me. And I know that I'm not abandoned, I'm not forsaken, and that he is always with me. And, and yes, many in this room would testify and say, yes, if you seek him in faith, if you trust him, if you respond in faith, you will, yes, indeed, experience his presence and his presence will surround you. That's what God does. That was the promise that God gave to Ahaz 2,700 years ago. It was the promise that he rejected and was subsequently destroyed. It was the promise that was real and true for the people of God who lived under Isaiah. It was real and true for the people of Israel when Jesus Christ was born. And it is real and true for you and for me who live now 2,000 years after the birth of Christ that God still is faithful to his promises. And for those who trust in him, his presence really does go with them, before them, and accompany them. And you are never abandoned and never forsaken. Now, let me just give some very tangible, very, some very practical advice, particularly this Christmas time, particularly for those who are dealing with loneliness and feeling lonely at Christmas time. Number one is be a part of the body of Christ. You were created for relationship. You were created in the image of God, and God exists in relationship, and you yourself were designed in rela for relationship. You weren't designed to be alone. In fact, when God created the world before sin and brokenness entered into it, he declared that everything in the world was good, except for one thing. It is not good for man to be alone. So what's the there for you is to pursue relationship. And if you're here and you here, find yourself in Southern Maryland, let me encourage you that there is a place for you this Christmas. That we live in a transient community. People are from all over the world. They land down here in Southern Maryland. They're far away from family. Sometimes they're on the other side of the globe from family. And if that is you, most people here have been in that situation. And if that is you, don't spend Christmas alone. There are many families who would love to have you over and celebrate that you are a part of the family of Christ and united together into one household and would love to have you into their family and the family of God for Christmas. Pursue relationships. Secondly, if this is a bigger issue for over the course of your life, feeling unconnected, feeling lonely, and you're trusting the Lord, find an area to serve. Relationships, depth of relationships grow serving shoulder to shoulder more than they do looking face to face. Find an avenue to serve. Warm with, that we're hosting in January is a great way to begin to do that. Finally, practical advice for Christians is be intentional. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. Contact your estranged relative. Yeah, maybe they won't receive it, but they are probably yearning for relationship and would rather hear from you than checking themselves into the hospital. Be intentional and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Ahaz could have personally known Emmanuel, God with us. The people of God who were captives, the presence of God was there for them. 
Ahaz as an individual, he refused. The opportunity is there for you as well, for you also to respond in faith to God's promises and experience his presence. And if you do so, you need to know and you will experience that you are not abandoned, that in Christ Jesus you are not alone, that in Christ you will know the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the mighty God, and that no matter what threatens you, you are secure, you will not be shaken. That you do not need to look to, your, to other people for significance, approval. You don't need to look for your, to your possessions for your security. You don't need to look to your position to say that you're somebody because you are in Christ Jesus. And maybe it actually works out this way this Christmas time that you are physically alone for, for Christmas. But if you are in Christ, you are not alone. You may not have a spouse but you have Jesus Christ. You may be a widow or a widower, but you have Jesus Christ. You may be rejected and estranged by your, from your spouse or your children or your parents, but you're not alone because you have Jesus Christ. You may be dealing with unexpected tragedies in your family, and you are not abandoned because you have Jesus Christ. If you have Christ, you have all that you need more than that. You have everything. So may we respond in faith and experience his presence, Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that your word is true. Thank you, Lord, that your word is enough. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes of faith to see, to understand, to believe, and to trust. Lord, that we would not look at our circumstances, that we would not look at our crises, our crises in life. That we would not look at these things and say, I am all alone, I am abandoned, I need to figure out a way for myself. But rather, Lord, that we would turn to you. And in turning to you, we would know your peace and know your presence no matter what threatens us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us, that with you and in knowing you, you are the one who sets captive people free. Lord Jesus, may we know you new and afresh this Christmas, we pray. Amen.